At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, August 21st, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to help prepare you for the reality of markets and, and economies. Uh, a new regime has uh, entered the economic fray, and that means new challenges, new understandings of the way the world is starting to work is 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 vital to making your investment decisions not relying on you know the last 30 years of financial repression and low interest rates and low inflation you know that's all changed so i'm here to help guide you finding that gray area that is closer to reality. You know, so many people you look at black and white, should I buy or sell? You know, instead of trimming, very few people think of trimming positions, for example. Uh, it happens in politics, right? I'm either left or I'm right. And it's hard for people to find nuance. And that's really what it's about. Where the world is filled with nuance. And sometimes that nuance, that final position that is coded in nuance is right for you and sometimes it's not but it's important to go into every decision making process with your eyes wide open pros and cons risks and rewards and the world of finance is multifaceted there's a lot of variables to kind of weigh but when you start big picture and you have the right mindset, then you do the number one most important exercise when trying to make a financial decision. That is weeding out emotions, avoiding fear and greed, chasing returns or panicking. And so that's what we are here to help you do. I'm going to provide you some useful data and unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience and studying decades and decades of market investment history. And so that means you play a role here with your calls. Your finance and investment questions are what drive this show. And to that end, every call is a, an opportunity to teach a lesson, not just to the person making the call, but to everyone out there. There's always little tidbits that uh, you can pull 
from every answer. Even if you may not be interested in that one particular position or asset class, it all is a an exercise in education. That's what this show is about. It's an exercise in educating you as much as possible so that your process makes sense. And so the Invest Talk phone lines are open for your questions at 888 chart And my main focus point today looks into the story behind this headline. Fitch rating warns it may be forced to downgrade dozens of banks. And we're going to talk about why that is and what broader impact it could have on the credit and equity markets. Okay. So we're going to look at that. Also, China. China has been in about a 40-year boom. 40-year boom of, of just consistent growth. And that looks to be coming to, I don't want to say a swift end, but certainly a different era. And I want to touch on that because it is such a vital part to economic growth and what might that mean for your portfolio. So we're going to look at that. Also, AI funds. You think AI can solve all our problems, right? You just let AI do the work. Well, there's uh, some interesting new funds that have come out run by AI, and we're going to see how well they have done. Then lastly, why the era of historic low interest rates could be over. And a few factors include the deficit, obviously, and higher productivity. So we're going to look at that. I also have a perspective today on the history of fiat currencies and their failures. And it's coming up at the halfway point of the podcast. And I have this all planned out for today's episode. And of course, we're taking your live calls as well at 888-99-CHART. So give us a call. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a modest up day. Large caps up about 64 basis points. The mid and small caps were only up slightly. And it's not a surprise to see a bit of a bounce here. There was a number of support levels that we hit on Friday. So it doesn't shock me to see a bit of a bounce uh, here in markets. Now, we do have Jackson Hole later this week. And what will Jerome Powell say? Uh, there's a lot of economic data and, and, and future policy, I guess, prognostication or, or, or verbiage that is likely to come out of the Fed that will probably change the way markets are feeling about rate hikes in the last three meetings of the year. And that's what we have left. We have a meeting in September and I believe, was it October? Like late October and then December. So only three more rate rate meetings. And Jackson Hole is often a time where the Fed gets other central banks and they they shift policy to a degree, sometimes in a minor way, sometimes in a major way. I don't think if they do this time, it will be in a major way, but even minor shifts can have major market implications. So we'll be watching that uh, near the end of the week. Uh, so not a shock to see a little bit of a bounce today. We're in this window that we, if you look at my uh, 
the video on YouTube that I put up on Friday, you'll see uh, what I'm talking about. There is another level on the S&P. Let me pull this up here. Yeah, so right around 43 and a quarter, which we almost hit on Friday, was pretty good support. And then if we do break below that level, we're probably going to go somewhere in the 4,200 level, maybe a little bit below that. That's the next support level. So we'll see if either one of those get hit. Uh, but I think if we are going to break to that lower level, it'll probably happen in the next couple of weeks. Otherwise, maybe this is just the pullback that we that we needed to kind of reset and refresh the markets for another move higher. So uh, interesting next couple of weeks coming up. Now as, we've, now, as we head into a break, let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. And the second episode is up. It's on the energy sector. And you can find it right now over on YouTube. Now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets. And we only have an hour here. And, and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things. The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday. Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that hey, these are interesting. These have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I wanted to get your take on Leggett and Platt, L-E-G. Obviously, very attractive dividend, but wanted to see if I'm missing something or if it is just on sale right now. Thank you very much. Well, what you're missing is the decline in earnings. And this is, let's see, let me explain what Leg, Leggett and Platt does. They design and produce engineered components and products found in most homes and automobiles. So bedding products, specialized products, furniture, flooring, textile products. And so automotive seat supports, for example, bedding components, lumbar systems. You know, the issue here is that it's pretty highly levered and earnings and profits are going down. Earnings are expected to fall 32% this year to $1.53. That's from $2.27 last year and $2.78 the year before. And even pre-pandemic, the business was very flat. Okay. So if you're going based on next year's earning of $1.50, you're still in the high teens multiple for a company that's shrinking. That's why this is plummeting. 
relative strength only 16, and it has a lot of debt on its balance sheet. So that's the issue here. Once again, don't chase the dividend, chase good companies, and especially good companies with positive trending moment, uh, earnings momentum. And this has negative trending earnings momentum. And analysts continue to downgrade earnings for next year and the year after. So I do not love this company at all. Uh, I would continue to hold off on it and don't focus on the dividend because right now the cat the, the dividend payout the payout ratio is a hundred percent meaning they're paying out all of their dividend all of their in- income sorry uh, all of their earnings per share as their dividend so that's not there's no money left over for reinvesting in their business buying back shares maybe raising dividends in the future and odds are pretty good I think that this will the dividend will be cut probably in the Medium term, maybe not near term, but medium term with their debt levels uh, and the fact that they have earnings going down. So if they're they're 100% payout ratio right now, it's going to be well over 100% next year because of the declining earnings. So absolutely pass on Leggett and Platt. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this headline. Fitch Ratings warns it may be forced to downgrade dozens of banks. And this is important because of the cost of capital for banks and how that feeds into the cost of borrowing as well as profitability for banks as a whole. Now, Fitch warned that the U.S. banking industry is inching closer to a broad downgrade of the operating environment. Okay, And what that means is that they could cut the ratings of even the largest banks because of this. Okay. Now the rating cut its assessment of the industry's health in June. And last week, Moody's downgraded 10 small and medium sized banks. And they warned they could cut another cut, cut, cut ratings for another 17 different banks. Now the four biggest banks or say highest rated banks, Bank of America, Bank of New York Mellon, J.P. Morgan, and State Street. They are double A minus. They're at the top of the banking industry when it comes to safety and quality. And Fitch is signaling to markets that bank downgrades are a real risk. And if they did downgrade the broad sector to an A plus. Right now it's double A minus, and that's where those large banks are, right? Bank of America, JP Morgan, et cetera. If they downgrade the whole sector, they'll have to downgrade those four as well from double A minus to double A plus. Because you can't rate a bank higher than the environment in which they operate in. And that would push some even smaller lenders into non-investment grades, so junk rate rating, okay? So companies like Bank United, that's triple B right now, and this is all because of profitability being squeezed, higher rates, higher defaults, and that is why banks in general, I don't think, are very good investments at the current time. Now, we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your voice bank 
or leave your message on our voice bank at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Calling regards to ExxonMobil, XOM. I wanted to find out what your target price is for this particular stock. I was able to get into your recommendation, so thank you very much for that. And given the price gains, I wanted to find out whether I should taper some, sell, or hold. Thank you very much, and looking forward to the show. Bye now. All right, Exxon, the largest integrated oil company out there. When I say integrated, it means that they they do a lot of things. They're not just your typical EMP exploration and production company. They have downstream assets where they do refining and specialty chemicals, you know, petrochemicals, for example. And that makes their business steadier than most other oil names. You know, outside Chevron, right? Chevron and Exxon would be the the largest, and and they have the same type of a uh, business uh, for the most part. And they are going to do well when the demand for these finished products are high. Now, Exxon has largely traded sideways for ten months now, since last November. It was trading right around these levels, and has been in a range between what's called a hundred dollars per share. And 120, and now we're pretty much in the middle of that 108 and change at the close today. But this is, if you look, pull, if you pull back on a weekly chart, this is just a consolidation period, likely headed higher in the back half of the year, and that's what we think we're going to see for energy in the back half of this year into next year. Uh, we don't have the strategic oil re- reserve l- releasing barrels onto the market, kind of keeping a lid on prices. Uh, And obviously, you have, over time, it takes a really bad economy to have the global demand for energy to decline. And obviously, as a global economy, we're still growing, not gangbusters or anything like that. It's still growing. And that means the demand for energy is is continuing to grow. And the lack of investment over the past 5, 10 years in, in new capacity means that there's not a whole lot of supply coming on market to meet that demand. So we think in the back half this year, like I said, energy prices are going higher. What's our target for Exxon? It depends on your target for oil prices. We think uh, Exxon's value is uh, north of $130 per share. Now it's at 108.71. So we like Exxon. That being said, it's the safer play. It's a safe-ish play within the oil space. Because like I said, it's so diversified. Now, if you want upside, you want to play the true upside in the market, you're going to want a pure play EMP company, Exploration Production, where they're just pulling barrels out of the ground, and that's their main focus, and then they sell it to refiners and, 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 and downstream. Uh, but it's really that's really the best, I would say, risk versus reward if you're playing the upside of oil. And it, Exxon is going to be lower risk, lower volatility. It's still going to go up if oil prices go up, but not to the same degree. So it depends what you want. If you're just focused on that dividend, lower volatility, Exxon is obviously a solid name for that. All right. So that's Exxon Mobil. All right. Let's talk a bit about China. And for really the past 40 years, China 
China's economy was growing like gangbusters, building factories, skyscrapers, roads, and lifted so many people out of poverty. And China was playing catch up. But now it's drowning in a lot of debt and it doesn't have much more to build. There's been a lot of overbuilding apartments that are unoccupied and return on investment for all of this spending has declined dramatically. And you can see that in some of the projects that they're still that they're talking about building. They're talking about building a COVID-19 quarantine facility, even though the China zero COVID policy ended months ago. And many economists think that China is entering a much slower phase of growth. Why? Because of very bad demographics. The one-child policy has come home to roost, and now they have a shrinking population. And obviously, the geopolitical tensions with the U.S. and the rest of the West, that has dampened foreign trade and foreign investment, most importantly. And that's probably not a flash in the, in the pan. That's something that is likely a long-term trend because of ideology within the CCP. Now, the IMF puts China's GDP growth at below 4%. In the next few years, and the current trend growth has slowed from 5% in 2019 to 3% and likely will fall to 2% by 2030, which means that President Xi's goal of doubling the size of the economy by 2035 just won't be met. And that they won't rise to the ranks of the world's largest economy. So China is very unlikely now to surpass the U.S. in the largest economy. And it's still going to be an emerging market. It's not going to be classified as a rich country. And now the housing boom is turning into a housing bust. And the housing boom in its growth years was more than 25% of Chinese GDP. And the demand for Chinese products have declined dramatically. Manufacturing, manufacturing activity contracted recently, exports have declined, and youth unemployment reached record highs, and then you have the default of Country Garden. It's one of their largest developers. And so after the break, we're going to talk about this further and talk about the parallels in China and Japan. Okay. Now we're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, before the break, I was talking about how China is entering a new era of slower growth. And that means there are a lot of parallels to what what happened really in Japan. Remember, they had a booming property market in the 80s. There was massive amounts of exports coming out of Japan. Think Honda and Toyota starting in the 70s and into the 80s. And then they really had a demographic time bomb on their hands and their economy basically burst uh, in the early 90s and has really never recovered. And that's likely to be somewhat of the path of Japan. Now, how will it be exactly the same? No, it's never the same. But it is likely to lead to years of limited growth and deflation. Now, China's national income per person reached 12,850 last year. That's still below World Bank's classification for a minimum of a high-income country. So if this is the end of their growth trajectory, it's going to be difficult for them to graduate from an emerging market. And the big question will be is, from a political standpoint, how will Xi handle that? The whole agreement basically the CCP has had with the Chinese people is, hey, you do what we say and we'll deliver economic growth. But if that's changing, that will be very interesting Interesting to see how that's handled, both internally and externally. Now, the since the reform and opening in 1978, which brought in market forces, opened, the, opened China to the West, international trade and investment, China grew per capita income 25-fold, lifted 80 million people out of poverty. That's more than 70% of the total poverty reduction in the world since then. And what do they do? Tons of domestic infrastructure spending. Kind of for 44% of GDP each year on average between 2008 and 2021. Globally, that was only 25% and only 20% here in the U.S., So they built highways, airports, high-speed trains, but they also overbuilt one-fifth of apartments in urban China. About 130 million units were estimated to be unoccupied as of 2018. And think about that along with a demographic bomb. It's not like you can use this in the future as more and more people need them. No. If your population is shrinking, that's going to get worse over time. And there's high-speed rail facilities or, or, or uh, networks that haven't even been used 
even though they haven't been built. And so this is all about return on investment. And the state company's return on investment have retreated from 4.3% to 2.8. Private firms have gone down from five point, or sorry, 9.3% five years ago to 3.9% today. And then they're just saddled with a bunch of debt. So this is the reality that China is starting to face. And it'll be very interesting to see how they pivot. And if they can slide, if it's a slide or it's a, it's a, it's a bust. My bet is it's more of a slide because they have such tight controls and they can kind of move resources here and there. They have a lot of foreign currency reserves that they can tap to go and spend to keep the economy afloat for a long period of time. But I think it will be a long slide of just back into, I don't want to say irrelevance, but uh, not nearly to the hype uh, around, living up to the hype around China that uh, we saw you know, five, 10 years ago. Now, I've often told you that the, we get invest talk questions from across America and all over the world. And this next one came in from a listener in Denmark. Hello, Invest Talk. Uh, this is Yannick from Denmark. Thank you for a great show. I have a question about uh, one or two stocks ahead of time. The first one is British American Tobacco, ticker BTI. I own this stock and uh, I find it uh, undervalued, trading at uh, 0.7 the price to book value. It went further down. Uh, I was curious about your comment that, that this uh, company has a melting business earlier. Could you expand on that? I'm considering whether to hold or sell it. And the other one is Stone Co. ticker symbol STNE. I own it, but curious about its uh, growth potential in your opinion. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. Looking at British American Tobacco and... Obviously, the use of tobacco around the world is declining. Uh, a lot of tobacco companies are trying to diversify out of traditional tobacco into smokeless tobacco. And that's what I mean is, is if, you, if you aren't a leader in that smokeless tobacco, then your business is a, a melting ice cube, frankly. And if you look at its revenue trailing 12 months, you know, it's really been flat for a number of years. So, uh, you know, what, and, and money is moving towards paying down debt, not necessarily growing their business. And that's, I think, the biggest uh, issue here. Now, it is cheap. It is, it is definitely cheap. But it's, I think, at that cost of debt uh, that's going up, they have about 50 million in, 53 million in long-term debt. It's a lot on a market cap of $71 billion. So I think long-term it'll be fine, but obviously with higher interest rates, that is the worry. Now, S-T-N-E, this is a this is Stone Co., and it's a Brazilian company providing technology, financial technology solutions for merchants and integrated partners in Brazil. So this is honestly really a bet on the growth of Brazil, the stability of Brazil, and as we know throughout history, that is a risky play, okay? Now, this is a company that is growing its revenue and its profits consistently, 156% expected increase in profits this year, 34% next year up to a dollar per share, and it's at $12 now. So forward-looking earnings in the low teens, but once again, you are betting on Brazil. There's a substantial amount of geopolitical risk or just political risk within the country. 
And that's what you have to contend with. Do you believe that Brazil will become more stable or less stable over time? Now, typically, Brazil would be considered a petrostate because so much of their government revenue comes from oil. And if that's the case, then you would say that it's a good environment for them, right? The real would strengthen. Businesses would strengthen with higher oil prices compared to the rest of the world. And so the real answer here is, what do you think of oil prices? That's going to be a huge factor here. Now, technically, Stone Co., is looking pretty strong. It's now in a consistent uptrend. It's been consolidating since April. And it could break out even higher than here, up into the mid to high teens. But it's a lot of risk. Are you okay with that is the question. Now, my perspective today looks at a brief history of fiat currency failures. And as you imagine, it's a complex topic. A lot of variables in government and political economic situations over the last 125 years. So we have limited time, but let's go back to World War I and between 1914 and 1917. And in simple terms, fiat money is the type of currency that is declared legal tender by the government, not backed by any tangible asset. And what is the longest running fiat currency in history? Well, it's the British pound. And still one of the most traded currencies in the world, dating back to 1200, about 1200 years ago, to Anglo-Saxon times. But the two major cases over the last 100 years of hyperinflation would be early Soviet Union and Tsar Nicholas II placed Russia on the gold standard in 1897. But war broke out in 1914, and they abandoned the gold standard. And they financed the war through the printing press. And they suffered heavy casualties, shortages of goods, and inflation really took off. Eventually, they returned to the gold standard, and money printing to cover budget deficits deficits was forbidden. Then after that, you obviously had the Weimar Republic. That's the most famous kind of fiat currency in the world. And they also abandoned the gold standard at the start of World War I and to, to finance the war. And inflation started, the, start, started during the war as shortages and money printing skyrocketed. And by 1922, prices were doubling every month. Strikes were occurring. Workers were demanding higher wages. And prices continued to rise. And through the nation total chaos and obviously that brought on uh, the Nazi regime. Now, two lessons here. There's two major lessons that a lot of people who are against fiat currencies ignore. And that is the productivity and the effectiveness of that spending. And war is one of the most unproductive endeavors a government can spend on. It has negative productivity. Think about it. 
you're destroying things, you're sending people off to war to produce negative outcomes, right? Death. And they're not home producing positive outcomes, products and services. And so it is literally the worst way a a country can spend money on all-out war. And then obviously Germany, post-World War I, had reparations. That's another way. You know, it's just money out the door with not a whole lot back. And so fiat currencies can go along as well as, as long as the spending is on productive endeavors. And that's why going back to that Chinese example, they're going to continue to have trouble because of the return on investment of what they're spending money on. Right? Is it better to spend government money on infrastructure or war? Obviously, 99% of people will say infrastructure. It's productive as long as people are using it and it, it furthers economic activity and quality of life. Now, inflation in Germany reached a monthly rate of approximately 29,500% by October 1929, a daily rate of 21%. And it only took 3.7 days for prices to double. Now, once again, what does that mean for fiat currency going forward? Obviously, monetary history says there will always be something new. Now, today it's the dollar. Could it be something different in the future? Yes, it will be. Now, is that five years, 50 years, or 500 years down the line? It's hard to know, but a lot depends on how productive government spends. And that's another reason why when government debt gets so high, 120, 130%, 140% of GDP, kind of where we're at now, spending is going towards interest payments. And that is also unproductive. And so there are shades of un, you know what's unproductive, but obviously interest doesn't do much for its citizens. Now let's pivot back to the Talk Voice Bank and this question came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin or Steve, this is Rob from New York calling. Thanks for everything you guys do on the show. I have a question about SQM. I'm trying to pick a play into the lithium sector and this one has reached an area that seems to be supportive, about $65 currently. Uh, they have low PE. They seem to have consistent earnings. I wanted to see what you think about this name as a potential long-term hold, uh, trying to ride on the coattails of the EV boom as uh, more and more companies start to go electric and start using more batteries. Uh, we look forward to hearing your answer on the call. I'm going to show Thanks. All right. Uh, I am not going to attempt to pronounce this name of this uh, company because it is at a Chile and it has a long Hispanic name, and it is SQM is the symbol. So it is, uh, once again, it's out of Chile, and it's a commodity producer, and like the caller said, lithium is its primary uh, operations. They also have specialty and standard potassium fertilizers, iodine, and solar salts that they produce. And so there's some diversity there that I like. The issue here is that it is out of Chile. Now, 
it does have some operations out of Australia. Chile is a pretty stable country for South, uh, South American standards. So that's a good thing. But there is still some more geopolitical risk than uh, a company that operates mainly in Western markets. So that's one issue. And then I've said this before. I don't love lithium to play EVs. I just don't. It's assault. It's very abundant. It's pretty easy to bring on new capacity. And you have a lot of other battery technologies being developed. Now, will there be a better one that comes along at some point? Probably. Could be a year from now. Could be two years from now. Could be a decade from now. We don't know. But... I don't love this as an EV play. So I don't like the jurisdiction, really, and I don't like lithium. So I'm passing on SQM. Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story. Should manufacturing in space startups be on your investment radar? That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Steve. Phil from Philadelphia here. I'm calling about AT&T. The stock hasn't been this low since 1994. I understand they have tremendous debt, but it just seems like that company that really isn't going anywhere. Great dividend. I just don't see, uh, you know, how this is going to buy here. And kind of want to get your thoughts to see, uh, you know, if it's a pure dividend play, is it the buy? I, I know there's not much appreciation here, if any at all. So I wanted to uh, see what you thought about that. And on the second point, would you recommend this over Verizon stock? Things like the telecom companies are really getting beaten up as of late. Looking forward to hearing you guys' thoughts, and thank you for what you guys did. All right, now, he just said one of the biggest biggest misnomers, mistakes that a lot of new investors make, and that's saying, oh, the company's not going anywhere. The company's not going anywhere. Does that mean that it's a good investment? Company's not going anywhere. Oh, what you're saying is the company's not going bankrupt and disappearing. Okay. That does not mean it's a good investment. Especially when they have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. Okay. There's a lot of debt that they carry, and obviously the cost of debt is going up, and so more money is going towards servicing that debt. And so that is the biggest issue here. And that needs to be discounted, and it is being discounted in the price. And once again, you're focused on the dividend. I don't think they're gonna stop paying the dividend, but their cash flow, more cash flow, more earnings are going towards the debt, paying down the debt, servicing the debt. And then it's a competitive environment, right? T-Mobile, 
is gaining market share is slow growth. So remember, just because a company isn't going anywhere does not make it a good investment. Investments go up when the company grows and there's more capital to go towards you, the shareholder. If more money is being directed to the bondholders than the shareholders over time because of certain factors like rising interest rates, that makes an equity investment less attractive. And that's why these telecoms are going up. They're very capital intensive. They have a lot of debt. So I hope that helped. All right. Lastly, let's touch a bit on some of the AI funds. There's been a few that have uh, been launched, and thir- actually 13, and they're putting AI applications in charge of managing these portfolios. And some of them have hundreds of millions of dollars in assets in these funds. Now, so far, the largest one, the Wisdom Tree US AI Enhanced Value ETF, it's up 2.2% this year. And AI promises to be trained on a lot of data, historical information, and direct the trades based on the data inputs and what tactics have worked best in the past. But if you look at these 13 funds, first off, they've had $300 million in outflows this year. And the big problem with them so far has been that they're not as quick to adapt to big events like the war in Ukraine. And they've struggled to outperform managers, uh, the, the broad index and, and other even active managers. The oldest one is the AI-powered equity ETF, AIEQ, launched in 2017. It's up 44% since then, and the SP is up 93%. And so it's pretty clear that why AI is going to help a lot in certain certain industries, equity management is certainly not one of them, at least not yet. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And we crossed the 55 million download mark last night, thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.